Mindfulness Mode 382. A bomb could go off a block down the street and people would not, their stress levels wouldn't increase at all. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks for joining us. If you're new to the show, welcome. Great to have you here. And if you're a return listener, I always appreciate you. Are you responsible for employees in a corporate setting maybe? Or do you know someone who is? Here's how you can help your employees reduce stress and increase happiness, productivity, and profitability in the workplace. It's a free resource I've put together called 10 Simple and Effective Ways to Increase Mindfulness in the Workplace Now. Well, once your employees are happier, you'll find that productivity will increase. You can download this free resource at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash workplace P, standing for productivity. Do you ever sign up for online courses? I'll bet uh, you either have or you know someone who has. I've talked to so many people who have done this and really enjoyed it. Today's guest is all about online courses. In fact, his company has educated over 12 million students. My guest is focused, he's centered, he's grounded. I was fortunate enough to hear him present a talk in Toronto at an Archangel event not long ago, and I knew he'd be perfect as a guest on Mindfulness Mode. I think you'll enjoy my chat today, so sit back, relax, and take in this chat with CEO of Thinkific, Mr. Greg Smith. Hey Greg, are you in Mindfulness Mode today? Uh, trying to be every day. <laughs> That's great. Greg, it's going to be a lot of fun talking to you. I'm really looking forward to this. And before we get right into the talk, I want to share a little bit about you with our Mindful Tribe listeners. Greg Smith is the founder and CEO of Thinkific, which is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create, market, and sell online courses and membership sites. Greg was working as a corporate lawyer for one of the largest law firms in the country when he launched an online course as a side project. Greg was able to share his passion and expertise with thousands around the world, and revenues from his course soon surpassed his salary as a lawyer. Greg and his team at Thinkific power the courses for over 27,000 businesses. Wow, that's a lot of businesses. They've educated over 12 million students and sold over $100 million in courses. I'll be talking with Greg today about how mindfulness has been a part of his love for teaching and how he helps others share their expertise and passion to grow their audience through online education. So, so Greg, what does mindfulness mean to you? Uh, well, as, as I was saying before, I, in preparation for this, I went and Googled what it means, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which kind of helped me discover a little bit of the meaning for me. And I, I think I have a pretty simplistic view of it. For me, it's very much like the Bob Marley song. It just comes down to don't worry, be happy, yes. uh, uh, which of course frustrates my wife a little bit when that's my approach to things. We were just, we actually just moved yesterday to a new house and there was a point where she was a bit stressed about the whole move as you, you know, yes. it's a stressful moment in life. Sure. And I sort of took the don't worry, be happy approach. And uh, I don't think that actually helps all that, <laughs> that much unless you have a specific strategy of how you're going to not worry and be happy. But it helps you, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it's it's what I try and remember. But then I think I've kind of developed some ways of working through that to sort of uh, get closer to don't worry, be happy and uh, and just uh, get to a place where I'm not so worried or, or stressed about things. Well, that's that's great. Now, I, I heard you doing a session at the Archangel Summit in Toronto, which was fantastic. And I thought, well, you're not talking about mindfulness, but you show it like you seem to be calm. You seem to be relaxed and you were telling great info. And I really enjoyed the presentation. So are you one of these guys that just has this mindfulness without even trying? Maybe now I I certainly wasn't always so mindful or uh, or calm or or collected and uh, certainly had to work on it. So it, I think it's been an evolution over the last, you know, forty years to to get to uh, a place where I, I can be calm despite the storm. Well, you have a team of seventy people working with you at your business, and I've talked to people who found that kind of thing very stressful. How do you deal with that without getting stressed? Well, there's uh, so I, I could give you all sorts of theories as how, how I've gotten to the place where I'm not super stressed for the most part. Yeah. Uh, one, there's an interesting book I read about people living in uh, Beirut and uh, in Lebanon during war times and civil war with bombs going off down the street constantly for, you know, over a decade. And uh, there was an interesting thing. They kind of became inured or uh, immune over repeated exposure over time to high levels of stress. So it got to the point where a bomb could go off a block down the street and people would not, their stress levels wouldn't increase at all. Now, if a bomb goes off down the street in my house, uh, I would probably be losing it. Um, but uh, for people who had, had experienced this for such long periods of time, they kind of became immune to it. So I think that I don't, I wouldn't recommend this maybe as a strategy to actually uh, become more calm or more mindful. But I do think there is uh, something that happens when you are exposed to a lot of stress and uh, repeated instances of potential stress where you start to learn to deal with it differently. And so what I find in, in building a business, obviously, there's a lot of stressful circumstances involved in the earliest days. It was how are we going to pay the bills? Then it became how are we going to pay the employees? Uh, now it's very different things than that. We're pretty financially secure and, and growing for the future and have been for about three, four years now, but still all sorts of different things. So I think by having those things happen all the time, you, you kind of force yourself to learn methods and strategies of dealing with it. And, uh, and so for me, it's just been the repeated exposure and not just in business, but other areas of life, uh, but the repeated exposure and then forcing myself to step back and think, okay, how can I deal with this so that it's not uh, overwhelming or stressful? Well, that makes a lot of sense. Greg, I want to go back to the point when you were a lawyer, you decided to put together a course. I'd, I'd like to know what the course was about and how that, what that was like in your life at that time. Sure. Yeah. So uh, it was actually even before I was practicing law, I was going to law school and I was teaching a course on the LSAT, which is the law school admissions test. And I started teaching a class at, uh, at the university I was at, just renting a room there and teaching people how to write the exam. I found I was also doing some one on one tutoring and I found that uh, the first few hours of class or even a few days and the first few hours of tutoring anyone was always the same conversation, just giving them a lot of the fundamentals. So I started by creating a course, initially a blog, and then it turned into a course just to cover all the basics. And then that grew into sort of the full fledged program uh, that it is now. But initially, it was just the idea of I want to create a helpful resource. So when someone calls and says, I want your help with this subject, I can give them this as a starting point. And then by the time they reach out to me to actually sit down together, uh, I know they've got all the basics and we can actually dig in and, and deal with the parts that are challenging for them. Well, it seemed 
as though it would be reasonably straightforward to create a course when I was sitting there listening to you tell how to do it, you know, in the in the workshop you did. Not everybody finds it so easy to do that. I mean, some people, are, their brains work very well that way and others don't. So what would you say to somebody that says, you know, this just does not come naturally to me? <laughs> uh, I'd say there were all sorts of elements of that journey for me of creating the course that didn't come naturally. And uh, again, it was sort of practice and practice makes perfect in that. Uh, and this actually for me is probably a big thing around mindfulness is I find if I'm if I'm trying to learn something or deal with something or work on something and I'm struggling with it a little bit, if I take a step back and think about how I would teach it to someone else, it puts me in a completely different frame of mind where now instead of internalizing it and struggling with it and it's like me versus the knowledge or me versus this complicated concept, it's me trying to understand it in a way that I can help someone else and that changes the whole way I view things and over time, uh, it means I understand it better, I can explain it better, I can teach it to someone uh, and it sets me up with, I, I actually find the, that I get the concepts and materials a lot faster and a lot better in the long run, especially if I think about not in terms of how am I going to learn it, but how am I going to teach it to someone else. So I think for people who, anyone who's, you know, getting started in, in teaching or looking to share something that they have some expertise in, uh, the biggest thing you can do is to start teaching it to others. And if you're struggling with how am I going to teach it on camera because I want to create an online on-demand course, then take a step back and start with doing uh, live or live online, you know, hop on Zoom like we are right now and do a one-on-one -on -one training session with someone and their questions will help you achieve clarity in what you're trying to teach. And even if it means you, you have to take notes and say, you know what, I'm not sure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to you on that. And you take all the notes, over time you're going to learn through teaching and then it becomes a lot easier to teach over time that way. So it sounds like that is kind of a mindfulness approach, like this part of having empathy, you know, putting yourself into the other person's shoes, the person who's trying to learn. And, and I'm, I'm sure it has a lot to do with not judging, too, uh, not judging yourself. Is that true? Like some people must be such perfectionists, I know I am at times, <laughs> that that would stop them in their tracks. Yeah, I guess I guess there is an element of that of not judging too much. I know some people are a little afraid to say hop on camera for, you know, something like this or hop on camera for uh, teaching a lesson or going on YouTube. And certainly when I, I used to shoot and edit all my own videos. And so I would shoot a video and then sit and edit it. And I would have to watch myself in front of the camera for hours at a time. And again, it was almost like becoming immune through repeated exposure where the first dozen or so hours I did that, I, uh, I would watch myself on camera and cringe, kind of like when you first hear your voice on a recording or something yeah. like that. But again, repeated exposure, you just get used to it and then you become so much more comfortable with it. And plus, I found through constantly watching myself on camera, not in some sort of um, narcissistic way, but more just because I'm, I'm trying to become better at teaching, is uh, the more I watch, the, the better I become because I can see, oh, well, I'm using um a lot or I'm not speaking with my hands enough or I'm... Uh, stuttering or pot or you know, other things going on uh, and and over time you watch that and then you just become more comfortable and then you hop on camera and you be able to you, you become able to self-correct and and do a better job the first time through but the other thing I'd encourage people if, if there is any concerns about that kind of stuff is one of the biggest statistical improvements we've seen in teaching is when you are very personable and natural uh, sorry not natural when you're when you're 
normal. Like I'm, I'm not speaking perfectly here. This isn't scripted. I'm making mistakes. I'm sort of going back and correcting myself. I'm pausing to think that kind of speaking is the kind of speaking you engage with someone in a social setting. And when you do that, when you're teaching, people are actually more likely to listen and more likely to uh, actually absorb the information that you're sharing. So you're actually a better teacher when you're not perfect. So it's better not having a script, maybe just having some points to talk about. Is that right? Yeah, you, I, I go either way. I can do some bullet points and speak to that, or I can have it fully scripted. I try not to go somewhere in between. Like if it's a couple of bullet points you're going to look at and then sort of ad lib on that, great. If you're going to go fully scripted, great. But if you're going to have sort of a half script and try and fill in the details, that's where I find at least my brain shuts down. And I've seen so many people where it shuts down on camera where you're trying to read. You just can't be reading and thinking and talking at the same time. If it's a two, two word bullet point of, you know, talk about topic A, great. Uh, but I go one of the two extremes and, uh, and I find that works well. Greg, in, in my intro, I mentioned that you are responsible for 27,000 businesses which have done courses through your platform. Uh, what are some of the most interesting, unusual, kind of uh, unexpected uh, plat- uh, businesses that have put uh, training on? Well, I've seen I've seen it in such a wide range and a lot of people will ask, oh, what's the best thing to create a course on? Reality is it's whatever you feel your message is about, what you're good at and what you, what you want to be sharing with people, as long as it's something that people want to learn and have an interest in learning. Uh, some of the really interesting ones I've seen is, is how to fly drones in the film industry or uh, a whole bunch of really cool stuff in health and fitness that is, is you know, even a, a very different take on doing things. Uh, a whole program on hula hooping for fitness and dance. Uh, some really cool stuff in the sort of baby boomer space around arts and crafts. And I think that uh, financially that area is doing exceptionally well for online training because you have all these baby boomers that are, uh, you know, empty nesters and uh, they are, are looking to expand their skill set or pick up something new, whether it's arts and crafts or even continued career uh, changes and progression. And they have disposable income and they're you know, able and willing to hop online and learn there. Uh, so there's a huge interesting market there. But just, uh, I mean, I even saw one the other day. I was wa- This wasn't necessarily on our platform, but I was walking through uh, an outdoor store and I saw a ukulele for sale, uh, like a camping ukulele that you could take camping with you. And on the box, it said comes with an online course. So I'm just seeing businesses all over the place getting into online education, uh, whether it's around generating revenue, attracting new customers or giving more value to your existing customers. It's a pretty amazing space to be in. Well, I'd like to know your take on universities and colleges, which, you know, operate in the traditional sense. Do you think things are going to shift dramatically in the next few years where people will just take online courses instead of paying all the money to go to colleges and universities? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a bit of both. I, I don't see, you know, the death of universities or anything coming anytime soon. They're pretty established institutions and still give a lot of value. I think we'll see a lot of both. We'll see a, a huge and growing uh, and continued growing online course industry, especially in continued professional development and continued personal development. So the big where we see most of our use, and that's mostly because that's where we're focused in serving, is people who are teaching and learning things beyond uh school, typical schooling. So beyond uh, tertiary or or post-secondary education, 
where they're learning to advance their career skills or their personal skills or their health and fitness or their other hobbies and areas of interest, as opposed to, say, replacing university. Now, there's definitely opportunities to do that. Uh, myself, I spent nine years in university, so I'm, I'm still a big fan. I had a lot of fun there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and I, I think there is and definitely there is it's expensive. There's all sorts of issues with it. Uh, it is very much just in case learning where you learn a ton of stuff and hope that you get to apply it in your career as opposed to the online, which is just in time learning of I need this skill now. I want to know how to write code so I can build a website. I'm going to take a course and I'll have the website built by the end of the month. Uh, so it's a really interesting divide there. I don't see, you know, even in the next decade, the end of anything like universities. I think they'll be around for a long time to come. Uh, but definitely continued growth in this space of continued professional development and continued personal development. Well, I'm interested in how you stay focused in your life and relaxed and grounded. Do you meditate? Do you have another way to stay focused? I actually just recently got the Muse. So that's the little, oh, yes. uh, the, the headset that kind of tracks your, your uh, thinking. And uh, I found it to be a lot of fun just because it's gamified. And, you know, when you, when you really hit your groove on meditation, you can hear the birds and the more birds yes. you get. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's been fun. I've only used it a few times, but it's going well. But I found actually just using that for, or having something that encouraged me to try it uh, has now got me meditating on my own. So I am doing it sort of uh, every day or two. Um, just trying to, to go through the kind of breathing exercises. And uh, I do, you know, it's, it's hard to put a, there's no number I could put on it, but I do find it, um, it, it seems to be a good thing in my life <laughs> for all sorts of reasons, whether it's personal interactions within my family or, or within work uh, or even just sleeping better. It, uh, it seems to be a positive thing. So I'm going to keep doing it, but it's relatively new for me, to be honest. Well, you mentioned to me you've just moved. So how do you stay calm through something like that? <laughs> <laughs> I, for me, that uh, is very much about, think, I mean, I think it's two things. Um, one, I've, I have hit this point where I've dealt with such extreme and stressful circumstances that something like a move seems like no big deal. So it's sort of like if, you, if you're having bombs going off down the street, uh, and then you show up for breakfast and you're out of cereal, you're not going to stress about the cereal. But if being out of cereal is the most stressful thing that's happened to you all month, you might actually stress out about it. So I think it's sort of different levels for different people. For me, a move is, is very low on the stress exposure level. Uh, but the bigger thing I tend to think about is uh, the future. And I, I do try and think about what's the worst that can happen and how would I deal with it. So rather than having these nameless fears or fears uh, that uh, you're not sure what you're going to do with it uh, and thinking about the fear, I tend to try and think I'm, I'm very goal-oriented and solution-oriented. So if I think, well, we're a little disorganized with the move. Are we going to be able to get everything packed into, into the new house by the end of day on Sunday? I think, well, what if we don't? Okay, we, new buyers don't take possession of our home until Tuesday. So I got two more days. So I, we didn't actually get it all done. I'm going over there tonight to finish up. But I knew that was coming. It's no big deal. I, I kind of thought through what all the progression was and what the solution would be. And I came to a place from like worst thing that happens. I have to spend my Monday night doing a bit more moving, not the end of the world. So it didn't stress me out at all. Well, that sounds like starting with the end in mind, giving yourself yeah. a little bit of extra time just in case a cushion. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's 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 good. That makes a lot of sense. And I know that when people move, I don't know if this is true for you, but sometimes you kind of think, well, I'll let this piece of furniture go or this this item, that item. Some people become emotionally attached to things. and It's very difficult for some people to let stuff go. Do you have that? And if you do, how do you let things go? Like physical things? Yeah, physical things. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, we certainly have a lot of stuff, uh, more than, more than I'd like. I'd like someone to kind of just come through and get rid of half of it, but I think I, I maybe have a tiny bit of hoarder in me. Um, I, uh, I don't, I don't think I, uh, I'm trying to think of the last time I sort of had to, to let things go. I, uh, I think for me, it's mostly just sitting down and, and, um, going through and trying to, trying to decide what's going in the trash or what's getting recycled or what's getting given away. Uh, I think the giving it away part makes it easier for me. If I can give it away, it makes it, uh, there's something that feels a bit better there than just losing it or throwing it away. Uh, but I don't know if, I don't think I have any really wonderful tactics for, <laughs> for detaching from physical things. I think for me, I, uh, I came out of school and have, uh, you know, I guess I left university uh, 20 years ago and over the course of that 20 year period, I've spent more time with no salary than I have with a salary. Uh, and often the salary has been low. So obviously, while well, I was practicing law at a big firm, big salary. Uh, but there are lots of periods there where I went no salary because I was trying to build a business. And so I think through that, I've kind of always lived this life of starving student. Uh, so that really helps if you if you if you aren't able to buy things, uh, you know, for even now, I basically go clothing shopping on one day of the year, which is Boxing Day. I get anything I'm going to need, a few pairs of jeans, a couple of shirts, that kind of stuff on Boxing Day. That carries me throughout the year. Uh, I think by just um, being happy with what I've got that whole time, you know, even now that I'm able to afford more, I, I'm pretty detached from the, from the physical things and, and don't care so much if I lose them or get them or not. Well, that's interesting. I always ask a question about bullying uh, because I've worked in that field for a long time. Have you ever been bullied like as a child or maybe even in business as an adult? And do you have a story to tell about that where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah, I was uh, I, I was bullied, I think, in um, definitely in school and uh, when I played hockey and when I played soccer. And I certainly didn't react well to it. Uh, so I, I didn't have a, 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 any kind of mindfulness practice or any way of dealing with that as a teenager or younger. And uh, had a couple of times when I reacted really poorly. I think there was one on the soccer field where someone was picking on me a lot and doing some pretty... Uh, sketchy things on the soccer field. And at one point I stopped and sort of kicked him and yelled at him. And, uh, I think at the break he had poured a bucket of oranges over my head, uh, just walked, walked across the field from his team to my team and dumped a bucket of oranges. So then the next time I saw him on the field, I kind of attacked him and yelled at him. Uh, and, uh, so definitely could have been a lot more mindful there, but those, I had a few of events at one or two in hockey, one or two in soccer and one or two on the playground that really stuck with me. But the interesting thing is what stuck with me and I tend to be self-critical is how I reacted and how I reacted poorly in the circumstances. And it wasn't anything horrible. Nobody got, you know, got hurt or anything, but I certainly reacted poorly. And I think it was that poor reaction of mine that caused me to really think about how I could do a better job in the future and be more calm. And I'm certainly not perfect. If I get into a, you know, bad situation, uh, you know, on the road or interpersonal, I still can, uh, can react. Uh, but my reactions are a lot more dialed down now. And I am always thinking about, you know, what's the, what's the right way to react. And then what I find for me is 
when I'm able to get that under control, so someone say cuts you off on the road and your gut reaction is to flip the bird, but you don't, you smile and you wave and you sort of say thank you or, you know, no big deal. And then they drive off and you feel calm for the rest of the drive. I really try and internalize that feeling and think this is so much better than me driving to work stressed out because of what someone else did. And by just remembering that that was better in that moment, it makes me 20% more likely or that much more likely to, to react calmly next time. And then it just makes my whole day that much better. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. As we move forward in the interview, Greg, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And just 30 second uh, answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? I'm going to give you two really quickly. There was Dr. Doug uh, Brackman, I think it is. um, And he does uh, meditation for entrepreneurs and high performing individuals. I think it involves shooting guns. Uh, So I had a good chat with him last week, actually, and uh, some interesting stuff there. And then actually Colin Powell, who uh, is a guy who used to work with us here at Thinkific as a digital marketer, but he lived in a monastery in the south of France as a monk for seven years. And now he's actually running a whole business around mindfulness training. Uh, So he's an interesting guy to check out. And certainly he did some mindfulness training and meditation training here on the team. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, Yeah. that's very interesting. Uh, My second question, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? (laughs) Uh, It's certainly, like I said, I think when I'm able to be mindful, I'm happier, uh, less stressed and and just nothing but positiveness. If, If I'm able to be more mindful, and I certainly am not able all the time, but when I am, it, uh, it just makes the whole day that much better, especially from an emotional perspective. So how is breathing part of your mindfulness or is it? Uh, it is. So one thing actually Colin taught us is the sort of, I think it is uh, four squared or four, four breathing. So you like in and hold out and hold or in count, hold, wait, is it? You're, you're breathing in, you're holding, you're breathing out and you're holding after you breathe out. And so there's a, a count on each of those and you can go four seconds on each or five or more. Uh, so I do a lot of that even sometimes uh, I did actually t- this morning on the drive to work and uh, that it, it's really interesting. It very quickly does it. And then the other thing I do, and I've been doing this as I've been doing any kind of meditation is I kind of visualize moving my hands of the breath coming in from below me and up and then out and down the bottom. Uh, and I, I just kind of visualize that flow of air uh, in through in, in and up and then down and out. Uh, that's just kind of something I've been doing and that seems to work really well too. Oh, great advice. Any books related to mindfulness that you'd recommend? There was one I read a long time ago, The Alchemist, that I think changed how I saw it about things. And I'm sure you've heard that one before. But the more interesting one recently is Never Split the Difference. Oh. And it's by this guy, Chris Voss. He's the, he was the lead negotiator for international hostage taking for the FD, FBI. And it's about negotiating. So it's nothing to do with mindfulness or meditation. It's all about negotiating. But wow, it really when it comes down to it, it, you have to be extremely mindful to implement all of these strategies. And these are like Jedi mind tricks. Like I'm, I've been trying this in conversations with everyone from my wife to my three-year-old daughter to business negotiations. And it is amazing. But in order to do it, you have to be really present and emotionally stable and in the moment. Uh, and this book is amazing at kind of walking you through how to do that and how to kind of manage that through what can be some of the most stressful and, and, provoking situations of negotiations, whether that's an interpersonal one or a business one. So that one's been super helpful. I'll check that out. I haven't read that book. So it sounds really good. Uh, Can you share an app which helps with mindfulness in any way? 
Uh, well, the one I've been using is just the Muse one. So the one that comes right. with the, the Muse headset. And I think you can use that app even if you don't have the headset because then it just plays the audio, which honestly, you probably get a lot of the benefit out of it there unless you unless you really want that, uh, the birds. Well, you get the birds. Uh, no, you don't get the birds if you don't have the device. But anyway, right. it's it seems to be a good one. And I've used it even without the device and it works well. Right. And it's M-U-S-E dot com. I believe it's dot com. And uh, uh, yeah, I think it is. And I mean, I really like the device. It's a lot of fun to to use. So yeah, thanks yeah. for that recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. So how can we get going with our own online course? I know you're at thinkific.com. Think yep. I-F-I-C dot com. Any other advice, any other ways to connect with you? Uh, that's the best way. If you hop on there and then reach out, honestly, you'll you'll even get a hold of me. We've got a great Facebook community of course creators, so you can hop in there and there's lots of people helping each other out. Uh, that's probably the best way. And then once you look us up at thinkific.com, then we can uh, set you up with courses and uh, templates and, and other guides and advice on how to get started. And then you can even hop on a call with one of our team here uh, or myself and happy to chat with you about creating courses. It's a pretty amazing journey. I find uh, for me, being able to take something I'm passionate about, share it with others, see them learn from it and apply it in their lives and get results and have them write back to me about the difference I've made in their life is probably the most rewarding thing I could do. Uh, so it's it's life-changing for me to be able to teach and, and share with others. So do you recommend just taking a period of time, like a week or two weeks, and just kind of hold yourself up in a space and just really concentrate? Or do you recommend taking a longer period of time to create courses? Uh, I usually say 30 days. I've seen people do it in two weeks or even a week, but I, and I've created courses in an afternoon, uh, but I, I'd say give yourself a deadline and I wouldn't make it any longer than 30 days. If you're going longer than 30 days, you're probably getting into too much perfectionism. And at that point, I would say just go live, even just if you're doing live Zoom coaching calls like this with multiple people on, on it and you're recording it, uh, it's a great way to get started. And then if it's live and you're just going to record it and share it afterwards, then you can get feedback from people and, and iterate and improve from there. Uh, but the big thing I find is a course where someone spends months perfecting it in the studio or, you know, just, you know, with their own iPhone even, uh, is not going to be anywhere near as good as someone who gets their course out in two, three, four weeks, puts it in front of students and people to learn from, collects some feedback and then makes some tweaks and changes based on that. You're going to achieve a much better result that way than if you worry about getting it perfect before you share it with anyone. Right. Well, that's good advice. It's been great talking with you today, Greg, and I really appreciate all your hints about creating an online course, but I also appreciate your level of mindfulness that you exhibit. And I'm sure you exhibit that every day with your team and your family. So thanks a million for coming on the show today, Greg. Thanks, Bruce. I really appreciate it. I, uh, you've actually just even being here and chatting with you about this and the emails beforehand has kind of inspired me to be more mindful and just even be more conscious of it. Because I think it is something that I've made unconscious efforts, but now just consciously trying to be more mindful. It's, it's, uh, reminds me that it, it can have a super positive impact. So thanks, Bruce. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All the best to you. Bye now. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, 
So many places you can hear mindfulness mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about whether you work in corporate, have teams of employees, and you want to reduce stress with those employees and help them to be more productive. You can download the free resource, 10 Simple and Effective Ways to Increase Mindfulness in the Workplace Now. And once your employees are happier and you know productivity will increase, download the free resource at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash workplace p so remember subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air till next time mindful tribe use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode